You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. And as always, I'm thrilled to be here. It has been a fascinating, fascinating couple of weeks for me as I launch myself into class number two for my master's degree in clinical clinical mental health counseling. Say that many times fast. And <laughs> the coolest part about this whole process, beyond the fact that when it's all said and done, I get to come out and be a counselor or a therapist is another way of saying it, is that the very first class is all about addiction. And so it's my wheelhouse. Well, so I thought. (laughs) There are so many new things that I am learning and putting into my brain, and I've yet to completely put it together as an episode. But there are a lot of different models and theories and all this really cool stuff that I'm going to be bringing to you all shortly. And part of the process of Jesse Mogul, me, this person who's 47 years old and has been in addiction recovery for almost seven years and going back to school is remembering all the ways I was not happy about my behavior back in 1994 to 2006. And now I have this whole new amazing brain, this whole new amazing life. And this entire process is just absolutely fascinating to me. Like from opening up the software to looking at the syllabus to preparing in advance to having it take me three hours to write a 200 word essay just six weeks ago to being able to do it now in under an hour. It's just mind-boggling the neuroplasticity of the brain to take on new behaviors and figure out ways to effectively and efficiently accomplish them in a less amount of time. Like I knew it was coming. I have been thinking about this and, and preparing for it and watching myself maneuver through all of these different steps to accomplish getting good grades, realizing that all along the way that my brain was building me new habits. So I was very mindful of how I was building the new habits and noticing whenever I would get these surges of emotions when I got confused on how to find a particular article that the teacher referenced in the online software or if I couldn't figure out how to uh, in sentence citation some you know peer reviewed journal article like all of this stuff very new Uh, And at the same time, there's a familiarity to it because I learn a certain way, I communicate a certain way, I take in information a certain way. These processes have been habituated over years. So I'm a very visual learner at the same time that I enjoy a certain kind of music in the background. Um, Oddly enough, I'm a huge fan of finding a song that has got a catchy little beat to it and then playing it for like six straight hours. And I'm not even joking about that. I was listening to 
uh, my girlfriend play some country music the other day while we were cooking dinner, and she's a big fan of this guy named Luke Bryan. And those of you who are familiar with country music absolutely know who I'm talking about. Those of you not, just whatever genre of music you enjoy, imagine their, your favorite band in that one having 30 top hits. That's how popular this dude is. And he's got this song called Hunting, Fishing, and Loving Every Day. Now, I don't hunt, nor do I fish. Um, I think fishing is a great way to run a perfectly good time standing in a river watching water go by. <laughs> um, and I haven't hunted since I was you know, living on our 50 acres of farmland back when I was a kid. So I don't hunt, nor do I fish, but I am loving every day. And this song is fantastic. So I listened to it yesterday. How many ever times you could listen to a three to four minute song over the course of six hours? That's how many times I listened to this song. Um, I put it on my headphones so uh, my girlfriend wouldn't hear it playing throughout the house because I didn't want to ruin the song for her because I knew I was going to listen to it so many times that it would drive her mad and she would never want to hear it again. And it's a very great song and I didn't want to destroy it for her. So part of my learning process is listening to certain kinds of music. And it can, be, again, be trance. It can be rock. It just depends on what I'm into that day. I happened to wake up. I was already humming the Hunting, Fishing, and Loving Every Day song. I went and found it, and that just became my song of the day. He's got another one called Sunburn, Sunrise, Sunset, Repeat. I think that's the title. Anyways, I listened to that for three straight hours this morning. So my point is, when I go to learn, I'm very visual. So I like to be able to have multiple ways of seeing the information. And then I like to listen to certain kinds of music. I like to have a certain auditory effect coming in. And then there's the kinesthetic aspect of it, meaning that, you know, do I want to be holding the book or do I want to be typing in my notes? Do I want to be copying and pasting? You'll notice this about yourself as well, that there are certain ways that you enjoy taking in new information, that you like learning things. Some people want to see it being done. Some people just need to have it explained on how to do it. And other people actually want to get in there with their hands and and do it themselves. Uh, Children are real obvious when it comes to this. Remember, maybe you remember this. I definitely remember this. Back in the day when somebody would get a new toy and I'd be like, oh, let me see it. And I'd reach my hand out and they'd say some smart ass thing like you see with your eyes, not with your hands. But children are very kinesthetic. They want to touch things. They want to hold things because they're not familiar with as many items in their texture and their contours as we are as adults. So you'll notice this within children, that there are certain ones that you can just say, hey, watch what I do. Other ones want to hear you explain what you're doing. And other ones actually just want to follow along with you and do it as you go. And so keep that in mind. Anyways, a little fun sidebar. So I notice this stuff as I'm learning and I'm really monitoring how I'm creating these new habits. And then all of this is going on as I realize that my other podcast, College Success Habits, which has been on hiatus now for a few months and will be coming back soon, um, that I wrote a book for that. And it was called The Seven Powerful Principles to Be Amazing in Life. (laughs) The Seven Powerful Principles to Excel in College and Beyond. And as I'm now becoming a student again, and now I suppose I have been a student now for so going on almost seven weeks, I started noticing how I'm utilizing the principles I talked about in that book on a regular basis and how much more obvious they are to me because I'm in the middle of this transition from not being a student to being a student. 
And if there's been a difficulty amongst all the ones I've discussed with you over the last few weeks, it has been the amount of time that I have had to dedicate to this endeavor. I knew going in, I was probably looking at close to 20, if not more hours a week in order to establish myself within the school to begin acquiring good grades and building up the habits so I can continue getting good grades over the next two years before my practicum and internship hours start. But man, it's been a lot to the point where I was laughing with myself yesterday. I'm like, what was I doing with all of this time before? Because I am dedicating hours to this. I mean, Sunday afternoon while I'm watching the Red Zone channel, I'm popping it open and I'm jumping in on some participation questions. Yesterday, you know, after I got done with my morning meetings and my gym, I come home and I sit down, uh, you know, that's six hours in front of the computer writing this 1500 word essay. And then this morning, getting back in front of it again and putting in three hours and finally getting it done just to be able to build the bibliography, which I'm thankfully wise enough to know, start putting together before the paper's done. So I'm still like, what the hell was I doing with all of my time? And that might be something you actually begin to experience the deeper and deeper you get into your sobriety and recovery journey, because you will begin to fill your life. That's the point. We've I'll remember the time I was making fun of the uh, Apple iTunes podcast review where the guy was saying that I just took alcohol and drugs out of my life and replaced it with other addictions, right? I mean, remember how much I laughed at that one? And it's true that I did replace alcohol and drugs with other things. Now, would I call it an addiction? This was proposed to me when I was at um, the Bradford Center in Warrior over the weekend, is how do you know when something's healthy and is moving into an addiction? And there's so many complex ways to answer that, that where I ended up landing on my explanation to this gentleman was that we can do things and enjoy things, but when it starts becoming an obsession and it starts affecting negatively other areas of our lives, whether it's our spheres, career self-relationships, or whether it's our pillars, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. If we begin to focus in so much on one area that other areas begin to fall off, feel neglected, begin to disintegrate around us, then we are now starting to tiptoe into that area of addiction. Because if somebody enjoys going to the gym five days a week for two hours, I would not necessarily claim that that was an addiction. Although we do like to throw the word addiction around rather carelessly in our society. So somebody would be like, man, I'm so addicted to the gym. I'm just, I'm in there every single day, you know, seven days a week for two hours. I'm just crushing it. I come home, I'm weighing my food, I'm monitoring all, I'm doing sit-ups in the middle of commercials. Okay, I wouldn't necessarily call that addiction. Now, if your kid's baseball game is extremely important to you and you start skipping that because, nope, I got to make the gym, got to make the gym, can't miss the gym, right? Here comes your uh, spouse's and yours anniversary and you're like, nope, can't go out to dinner with you, got to hit the gym, I got right in the middle of the restaurant, I'm doing push-ups, doing push-ups, damn it, because every single moment of my life, it's important, I'm building muscle. Then we start getting into that obsession, and then we can start to teeter-totter over into, is this addictive versus not? And it's very much subjective to your perspective. And so 
nice little sidebar again, going back to what the gentleman in the Apple review had said about how I just replaced one addiction with another. It's very much important to me to be monitoring where I'm spending my time and is this the best use for my time considering what other obligations, requirements, um, disciplines that I could be focusing on in that moment. It's very important. Right? I've been working on the school paper. I've got to you know, do this podcast. Um, I work with another company called American Contingency. We help people get prepared for natural man-made disasters. I host their podcast. That needs to be done. Didn't get done last night. Totally spaced it out. Focusing on schoolwork. I mean, I even didn't watch Monday Night Football. And there was two games on. I recorded them and then went downstairs and had my little protein shake and my little protein bar dessert before it was time for bed. And I watched the fourth quarter of each of them at 1.30 in the morning because I wanted to feel like I was a part of it. The, my point is that I realized in the middle of this day, you know, I've got a coaching session coming up and the podcast can be done and I needed to get some steps and I wanted to go downstairs and spend some time with my girlfriend. It is important to learn balance. And it's not just up to you to decide if what you're doing is balanced because there's other people involved in your life. Now, if you're Tom Hanks's character in that movie Castaway, where he talks to a volleyball the whole time named Wilson, then sure, the only thing that you have a responsibility for every single day is making sure that the island doesn't figure out a way to kill you. And I suppose don't let Wilson fucking float away in the ocean (laughs) because it seemed very traumatic. He's been your friend for years. Why would you just let him float away? Point being is we don't live on an island with a volleyball we've named Wilson. We live in a whole world where there are a lot of people involved in who we are and what we're doing. And yes, Taking their opinions of our behaviors and having that decide what we do is not a healthy mechanism for a day-to-day acceleration of your sobriety and recovery. But at the same time, on a day-to-day basis, you want to be taking into account what these other people are experiencing when you are in their energy field, when you are around them. Because it just neglecting everybody in favor of what you want to do all the time. While I wouldn't necessarily label that selfish, it can be perceived as selfish if you're not discussing with the other people involved in your life why you're making the choices that you're making. Not in a way to defend the choices, but so that they know where you're at. Because a lot of people want to be supportive. And if Unfortunately, you're around a bunch of people who don't want to be supportive or even one very important person who's not supportive, then yes, you will need to just figure out how you're going to navigate that relationship because certainly that person has their own things that they're trying to accomplish. And nobody is doing anything against you. They're doing it for themselves. This is one of the uh, principal laws of NLP, and I use laws with air quotes. It's just a presupposition that if you presuppose that nobody's doing anything against you, they're doing it for themselves, you will feel less like a victim and more empowered to step back and say, what need was that person looking to fulfill by this particular action? 
There's certainty, there's variety, there's love and connection, there's significance, there's contribution, there's personal growth. People are seeking to achieve need fulfillment in themselves, and it may look like they're attacking you. But if you go back to Don Miguel Ruiz's, um, the, uh, the, what, the four agreements, is one of them is don't take things personally. When somebody says something that goes against a belief or an opinion of mine, I don't take it personally. I start listening for their model of the world, their point of view that helps me understand why they feel so strongly about this particular subject. Because there's a reason. They've got experiences with it. They've, ha- they've been affected by it. They, something along the lines has caused them to plant their flag on this hill and say, I'm going to scream and holler my point until everybody knows how I stand on this topic. You hear it happen in important subjects like religion and politics and social justice issues. And I've even watched people get into humongous arguments over whether the writers and actors in Hollywood should have striked. Now, I have a pretty steadfast rule not to talk shit about how somebody makes their money or how much money they make doing the thing that they do because we live in a capitalistic society and, you know, who am I to tell somebody not to go out there and get theirs? Now, you know, if you're making money nefariously by dumping oil in rivers or, you know, doing something else that harms the planet at large, okay, I might want to have that conversation. But overall, I'm very steadfast on, hey, you know, people will do what they do. If a football player can sign a $250 million contract, then by all means, allow him to do so. If it costs him, you know, some of that uh, level B and C talent on the team, or even having to watch his favorite running back get cut during the offseason, then that's just the business decision that the team made based off of the contract that the quarterback signed. It is what it is. We'll figure it out kind of mentality. I'm not going to get pissed off that I find out an actor is making $100 million on a movie. I got better things to worry about. Like, did I actually put a period behind the year in my bibliography? So back to where I was going with all of that is that people will plant flags and they'll care about something, but they're doing it to fulfill a need within themselves. And it's important that you realize that nobody is trying to do anything against you. They're just doing it for themselves. And so as I maneuver through all of these different experiences that are coming from school, I'm very mindful to balance, you know, I would call this my career, you know, and not to mention the podcast and the coaching clients and the writing and everything else I'm doing, along with my relationships, monitoring how much time I'm spending with the girlfriend and does she feel like she's being prioritized at certain times because she is definitely, you know, shown a willingness to give a lot of not having me around in order for me to begin this schoolwork. And I want to make sure that when I am around her and we are spending quality time, that she is the focus and that we're doing something that we, you know, we enjoy together, creating memories. It can't just be me holed up in my office all day long. And then as far as myself goes, am I monitoring my, you know, uh, my food intake, my energy levels? Am I going to the gym? Because that's going to keep me pumped up and energized. You know, am I monitoring my self-care and my mental health? Am I still, you know, prioritizing this Jesse mogul right here pacing back and forth in his office? Because if this dude falls apart, the whole thing falls apart. There is no time for school and relationships and all that other jazz. If I'm so focused in um, on other things that my body starts to fall apart, that my mental health begins to disintegrate. And now, having said all of this, 
let's get back to the book. So when I wrote the book, I did so with all of the things I have just painted for you. And I talk about this in the introduction and the foreword and other parts of the book. Because when somebody goes and takes on something new, that's big, that can become all-encompassing, if we're not monitoring our internal self, our morals, our ethics, our values, our opinions, our beliefs, our principles, our habits, if we're not monitoring these things, our spirituality, really, around these new endeavors, it can become all-consuming. And it can allow, without even us realizing it, so many other things in our lives to begin to fall out of the you know, proverbial bus of life. And I don't want things to fall out of the bus of life. The whole point of doing this schoolwork or expanding the business and, and growing it and going and speaking at places wasn't to take things away from my life. It was to add to my life. So when I wrote the book, The Seven Powerful Principles to Help You Excel in College and Beyond, it was with a definitive end point that when the college student or non-traditional student, anyone, honestly, as I'm getting ready to talk about the chapters and the principles, I want you to realize that if you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Walmart, I mean, it's available everywhere, that the book could just as easily be for addiction recovery, just replace the college scenarios or the college words that I'm using with addiction recovery words, with sobriety words, because the principles are my foundation. They are extremely important to me. And unbeknownst to me, before I started writing the book, even whenever I was being, you know, old, crazy, drunk, addict, Jesse, I still was guiding myself with these principles not as fervently by any stretch of the imagination, but they still lived underneath my surface. And when I was doing things in a more desirable fashion for myself, these principles were leading my way. And whenever my life was starting to fall to the wayside or you know fall apart, if you will, then it was when these principles were less of a focus. And I want to bring them to you now because I've noticed them popping up in conversations and in coaching calls with my clients in a way that I felt like I never really dove into these very much in a in a process oriented way that you will be able to immediately hear and see and feel how they will help you on your journey. So let's dive into the topics, the principles of my book, and let's discuss them so that we can start to monitor how you're utilizing them in your sobriety and recovery. Now, there's seven of them, so super easy to follow. I'm also going to put them in the show notes. It is develop a growth mindset, cultivate courage, be decisive, take action, embrace discipline, exercise flexibility, and embody tenaciousness. And it can all sound like a mouthful. And if you remember me bringing up Don Miguel Ruiz's uh, Four Agreements earlier, one of them has the word tenacity in there. And that is ultimately how I approached the tenacious chapter in the book, because it was very interesting having not read the Four Agreements before I wrote my book, (laughs) that it was... (laughs) I didn't realize, maybe I did read the book at some point, I didn't realize until after I wrote the book and started reading over it, because I had to read it like 30 times to get it edited, 
um, how many different influences came into play. So let me roll that back. Maybe I had read the four agreements beforehand, and that's how it played some level of a part in the writing. But more importantly, it's going to play a role in how I discuss it now. So um, I don't know if I just misspoke, but I I'm still having a hard time remembering every little detail of how I wrote the book other than, and this is the part I love to talk about, I wrote it in 30 hours. I wrote it, uh, started it on Monday, and there was seven chapters, um, plus the intro and the outro. So it came up to nine, and there were some other things I needed to write. So basically 10. And I sat down and I wrote the first chapter, which is cultivate, or sorry, develop a growth mindset. And it took me three hours. And it roughly is about 3,000 words, because I wanted the book to be 30,000 words. So I just did some quick math and determined if there was 10 different sections, that's 3,000 words pop. And so I sat down, I wrote one of the chapters in uh, three hours and was like, okay, that's my standard. Let's figure out a way to write 3,000 words in in, in uh, three hours. And then I just multiplied it out and said, well, if I do a writing at three hours, take a break, go to the gym, do something, come back and write the next part over the course of three hours, I should be able to write 30,000 words in a week. And so that's what I did. And I had so many notes and it was, oh my goodness, it was a process. Then I let it sit for 30 days. I came back, I chopped the hell out of it, moved the whole, I mean, the copy and editing process was intense. That was another 30 hours. And then I sent it off to the editor. And then there was like another 40 or 50 hours of rewrites and design and all this other stuff. It was a pretty awesome little thing. And at the time I didn't write one on addiction because I didn't feel like I had enough time in addiction recovery to be able to bring value or validate why I was writing a book on addiction. I was only at year two. Um, Of course, looking back on it now, that was just, it's laughable to look back and think that I stopped myself from writing my first book on addiction recovery, considering how important addiction recovery is to me. And I would love to have had an addiction recovery book I wrote in year two to look back upon to see how different it is I talk about things now. But that being said, I've got 200 and some episodes now to put into my next book. So you know, it is what it is. Time moves forward. So let's talk about developing a growth mindset. I very strategically targeted the word develop a growth mindset because this idea of developing is, is brings out a, a sense of to start something, to experience it, to possess it. Uh, I thought about developing in the way a picture develops. Uh, I used to be a photography uh, I used to have a jobs in photography. I was the photography editor at the Valencia University's uh, school newspaper back in the late 90s. And I remember having to develop my own pictures. Yes, back in the day, digital wasn't easy to get a hold of. Those cameras were extremely expensive. So I used my old uh, you know, SLR, single lens release, whatever that stands for. Anyways, I had to take <laughs> film and then... <laughs> mix it all up in some chemicals to produce a picture. And so when I think about developing a growth mindset, I picture it like watching this picture develop to grow something, to come or bring about, to advance, to expand, to grow or cause to increase. Uh, Also, you know, we're going to get to cultivate courage here in a moment, but that very much has a gardening aspect to it. So it's sort of like we're going to, you know, we're going to develop this growth mindset, meaning that it's not something that there's ever an end point to. Having a growth mindset around one subject does not mean that you'll have it around all subjects. 
You might be very growth mindset oriented whenever it comes to your physical fitness, but you have have more of a fixed mindset when it comes to your ability to do public speaking or to write. A growth mindset in one area of your life doesn't necessarily translate into every area of your life. There's a consistent working. And this is what we do discuss when I use the word develop. We're developing it throughout every area of our life. So I can listen to somebody have a contrasting opinion to my own and realize that, okay, I can have a growth mindset. I can take this person's opinion in, realizing that they're not saying anything against me. They're saying it for themselves. I don't have to take it personally if it goes against what I'm saying, even if they're yelling and screaming or talking loud or talking over me, it is what it is. They are going to behave how they're going to behave. They, I can either choose to accept it or walk away from them. You know, And oftentimes, there's going to be behaviors displayed in front of you that you may not be necessarily thrilled about. You need to make decisions in that moment on walking away or staying involved and not taking things personally personally, and having a growth mindset around the information being presented to you. Because in the end, you choose whether to have uh, undesirable thoughts or undesirable feelings about things in your life, or you can choose to feel favorably and say, wow, look at this challenge. The Life isn't of my villain. It's not trying to attack me. It's just challenging me. Not because life woke up today and said, hey, man, let's say maybe we should fuck with Jesse a little bit. Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, let's see. We're going to stop him at all the red lights. Uh, we're going to take out the air in one of his tires. Uh, we're going to make sure that all the machines at the gym he wants to use are being occupied by people staring at their phones. Absolutely loving this, loving this. Ooh, Ooh, maybe he could leave the refrigerator cracked so all of the food gets warmed. Yeah. All right. Let's send it out there, life. Let's do this up. Like, that's not what's happening. (laughs) Life is just life. We're part of the human experience. So can I develop a growth mindset? Can I realize that every opportunity that is presented to me is is an opportunity to learn? What is the lesson that can be taken from this? Because there's a lesson in everything. One of the things we utilize in neurolinguistic programming is helping clients and people go back to negative associations, to undesirable memories and feelings and emotions and traumatic experiences, and seeing them from a different perspective. And from that different perspective, you can realize how many different things that you didn't notice or take away or the lesson that was missed from that experience. And even in the worst of situations, no matter whatever has happened to you, you can always take a lesson like, hey, I persevered. I lived through that. Yeah, I may have utilized alcohol or drugs as a means of escaping from that memory, from from not feeling into those emotions, but I kept my heartbeat going. I woke up and I did something that day. And it may have just been taking a shower or brushing your teeth or hell, just just sitting up and drinking a glass of water, the worst situation you can take a lesson from. Generally, what I find is that the person persevered, that they figured it out. Did necessarily get figured out in the most healthy way? That's a judgment statement. That's more of a thought rather than a fact. So when we're developing a growth mindset, we're harnessing the power of how can I take something from this, a lesson that will benefit me moving forward. 
And when it comes to the schoolwork that I'm doing, I go into it realizing I may not know everything about the Halo software or how to do bibliography pages or how to do research. But the more I do it, the more I will figure it out. And that's how we're going to move to cultivating courage. This idea of cultivating to develop, right? We're going back to that word develop, to improve something, right? Whether it's a quality, a sentiment, a skill, we're giving special attention to courage. And courage is this ability to stand strong in the face of adversity. It's this idea that we can accomplish things, we can be things, we can do things, even in the face of fear or negative emotions, that we can move through them. Right? We think of courage as like this superhero, this person who faces difficulty or danger or pain. This idea of happening without fear, I don't believe that. And I, that's the part I really want to pepper down on right now, is that I don't believe that courage is the absence of fear. I believe that courage is the ability to move forward in the face of the fear, to do something even when fear exists. I get extremely excited before I go and give speeches, presentations. Heck, I get nervous before I turn on the microphone for this show. But rather than seeing it as fear or, oh my goodness, I better not say the wrong thing. I might get canceled. I get excited as this is an opportunity for me to expand, for me to grow, for me to take information that I've learned from various sources and figure out ways to not so succinctly bring it to you all. Courage is not the lack of fear. It's moving forward even in spite of the fear. So when you develop a growth mindset, you realize that nothing about your abilities is fixed, that you can grow in so many infinite ways that it's, it's beyond even explanation. I, I couldn't even come up with all the hypotheticals. There's nothing about you that's stuck in place. You're not stuck. You're standing still for sure, but you are not stuck. And this is where we're going to get to take action and all that in a minute. You'll see how these build upon each other. It's like a ladder you can climb to literally give yourself that internal empowerment that will move you forward. So now we're cultivating courage, this ability to make a decision, to take action, even in face of fear, negative emotions. Oh my goodness, what if I get humiliated? Or, oh, I've got shame. I've got jealousy. I've got guilt. I've got remorse. All of those things. Courage is, you know what? I'm going to put my feet on the ground and I'm going to fucking do this thing today. Because whatever was yesterday was yesterday. Yesterday is not who I am today. Today I get to make all new decisions. And I could just as easily be a, this version of myself today compared to that version of myself yesterday. And I'm going to do it by facing any negative emotion and saying, fuck you, negative emotion. <laughs> What is it that you're here to teach me? Give me the lesson. Now let's move forward. And that's where we get into number three, be decisive. When you're decisive, you have this ability to make decisions. Now, if you go Google this, it'll say quickly or efficiently um, or even effectively. Now, I want to be real mindful to hunker down on the word quickly for a moment here. So it's an ability to make, to me, it's an ability to make a decision. Being decisive is the ability to make a decision. Quickly, that's subjective to perspective. Yes, if you're, you know, 
walking along a cliff and your loved one uh, slips and is about ready to go over the side of the cliff, yeah, you better be really decisive in that moment. Quick is going to be necessary in grabbing your loved one's hand before they topple over. Absolutely. Other decisions about changing a job, going to school, you know, uh, getting into a relationship, getting out of a relationship, buying a home. Other ones, they're going to take a little bit more research and involvement in the decision-making process. The Where I would want to really, you know, get into the nuances of quickly is that you can let something drag out. You could say, okay, you know what? I'll make a decision on that later. And then a week's gone by and you were just trying to figure out where you were going to go to vacation during fall break. Okay let's get this figured out, you know, and if you don't want to figure it out, let's discuss why. Is it financial? Is it time commitment? Um, Are there other things going on? Like there's other factors at play if you're not making a decision, quote unquote, quickly. And again, quickly being subjective to perspective, depending on the importance of the decision that needs to be made. You know, for me, figuring out what school to go to, that was an important decision that needed to be made. I took two months of researching over 15 or so schools. I'm pretty sure I stopped at 17 just so I could say I did 17. But it was Northwestern and it was uh, Berkeley and it was, uh, there was was one um, Pepperdine and there was, you know, uh, Vanderbilt and there was Duke. There was all these. Yes, I looked into all of those. And I still found Grand Canyon University's curriculum and their ability to help me achieve this, you know, goal and desire of mine to be a therapist. I still saw them as the best. And, you know, sure, I didn't have to drop $120,000 like Northwestern wanted. So that certainly was beneficial too. It took time, but I was decisive. And I was cutting schools off the list as soon as they started to show a red flag or have a concern or not meet my specific criteria. I wanted to go to Alabama A&M for this. But ultimately, they wanted me to go into class. And my schedule just doesn't allow for the variances of attending a school and also being able to do everything I'm doing in my career. So I was very decisive in that, even though it took me months to ultimately be able to land on what school I was going to go to. So are you being decisive? There are certain decisions. Hey, you know, you want uh, burgers and fries or do you want chicken, right? How long do you really need to make that decision? Versus something that's huge, like, should I go to this addiction recovery center or that addiction recovery center? It's awesome. You've even chosen to go. You've even chosen to go to an addiction recovery center. Now, you might want to be mindful about the nuances and intricacies of that addiction recovery center to make sure it's going to fulfill your ultimate goal of sobriety and recovery. Being decisive is important. So now we've covered being decisive the ability to make a decision. Ultimately, it's just make a decision. Have you ever seen somebody with the wishy-washy? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Do I want tzatziki sauce or do I want hummus to dip my pita bread in? Oh my gosh, it's a dollar more for both. Just what is wrong with you? Because if you're showing indecisiveness in one area of your life, there's a very good chance that it is trickling in and manipulating other areas of your life. So again, I'm not saying to make you know split-second decisions based upon you know some level of limited or unlimited information, if you will, uh, on something that you want to decide in life, there's going to be different variables that are going to decide how long you would want to spend on making a decision. Paper or plastic at the grocery store, 
I mean, yeah, I would love it if I always remembered my reusable bags, but you know what? They're generally in my trunk when I'm standing at the cashier. So then I'm like, well, you know what? I could use the paper bags for this, this, and this. Okay, I'll take paper. If it takes you three minutes to decide paper and plastic, you've got an indecisive is- an indecisivity issue. I don't know if that's right. Jeopardy, Alex Trebek, can you score that? Okay, indecisivity, maybe not so much, but you have an indecisive issue. Uh, going back to cultivating courage, where are you lacking courage in your life that could allow you to make a more fine-tuned decision in the moment for what it is you're seeking to accomplish. And of course, if you develop a growth mindset, you realize that you're not fixed anywhere, that regardless of the decision you make, there's always a way to uh, switch and go a different path. Sure, you won't never get to go back to the original fork in the road, but you can always create another fork in the road along the road. And then we go to taking action. I've been talking about taking action for so freaking long on this show that you guys might think it's my middle name. Taking action is the ability to just freaking do something. It's the, I mean, literally, when I was going and pulling out definitions so I could sound super smart on the show... <laughs> It was. Uh, it came out to the fact or process of doing something, typically to achieve an aim. <laughs> like, it, it seems obvious that that is the definition of action because it is what we do when we take actions, right? We have an aim and we take action on it. Where are you not taking action? Because a lot of us will say, okay, I know I can grow past this version of who I am. So I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to make this decision. We make the decision. And then what? Do we take action? Do we postpone the action? Do we procrastinate the action? Do we take a little bit of action and then you know somehow manipulate our way of thinking and say, nah, you know what? It's not really working for me. When in reality, we just didn't give it enough time, enough opportunity to change what it was we were seeking to change within ourselves. Because I see this happen so much, not just in myself, because I can look back at old addict Jesse and I'm like, yeah, I, you know, start taking action. I used to have what I call the 80-20 Jesse rule. And there is an 80-20 rule that states that uh, 20% of the things that you do will create 80% of your accomplishments or create 80% of your money or whatever. The point is for me is I would get about 80% done with something and say, yeah, that's good enough. I've, you know, I've learned what I needed to learn and I wouldn't really finish the project. I wouldn't, you know, run out, sprint out the finish of the race. I'd get to like mile 11 and a half marathon and be like, yeah, I think I'm good here. <laughs> Just, I never really did that during a half marathon, but in using this metaphor of my life, it was very much like being at mile 11 and being like, yeah, I think I'm good here. And then just walking away, going to the parking lot, getting in my car and going home. We don't want to be that version of ourselves anymore. We want to take action and we want to see things through. Yes, yes, caveat. It is extremely important that we are monitoring the results, the outcomes that we are getting from these decisions we're taking action on. Because if it is starting to lead our life a little sideways, going back to what I said earlier in the podcast about if you decide you're going to take action and go to the gym and it's going to be five days a week for two hours, but now you're noticing that it's causing stressors in your marriage or your relationships or it's causing your kids to feel neglected or you're ignoring work and other responsibilities, yes, we want to be monitoring how the taking of the action is affecting our entire lives, not just this one certain quadrant, right? Self and physical absolutely are getting paid attention toward when you're at the gym. 
but how is it affecting the other 11 rooms in your McMansion of life? And we've talked about this in previous episodes, your spheres, career self-relationship, and your pillars, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, create this like 12-room McMansion where you have an opportunity in one action to work on all 12. All 12 can be worked on at one time, and you can go to bed realizing you really crushed your sobriety and recovery that day. And again, going back to the caveat I just brought up two minutes ago, it's important to be noticing. How is this taking of the action ecologically working throughout my entire life? Yes, it could be benefiting me, but bringing negative consequences to my family or negative consequences to my world at large may not be so beneficial. And you might want to tinker with your execution of the action that you decided upon because you were courageous, because you were obviously somebody with a growth mindset. You see how all of these just continue to build? So as you're taking the action, now you're stepping into discipline. You are embracing discipline. It's accepting and it's supporting this belief of the change, right? This practice of training people to obey rules. Uh, that's where you hear discipline utilized within the military construct or maybe uh, within uh, our police force and things of that nature. But discipline for somebody who really wants to accomplish something is really just this quality of being able to behave and work in a controlled way that upholds your personal rules or standards, right? Are we cultivating an image of ourselves that is beginning to actually show fulfillment in our minds? Because we create this version of who we want to be in our brain. Now are we working on that? That's where we embrace this discipline, this following of a, of a particular order so that we can achieve this goal that we've laid down. Because it's not something that you can just make a decision, start taking action and be like, yeah, you know, I'll go to the gym whenever it feels good. <sighs> okay, well, I mean, there's gonna be a lot of times during my day I'm not going to feel good. But if I've decided I'm going to the gym Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, it doesn't matter if I go at the same time or not. I know I've made the decision to go. So it's just a matter of when it's going to fit into my schedule. Oh, look, I've got some time between 10 and 12. Oh, don't have any time until four o'clock. Either way, I'm going to the gym. I've created that discipline. I follow that structure. Now, during my research for this, I came across something that talked about active discipline, reactive discipline, and proactive discipline. Now, I didn't put this in the book because I just found it today, but I thought, well, this would be fun to bring as an addendum to the book is to add a little bit new flavor. Flavor, flavor. So active discipline is doing what you need to in that very moment in order to achieve X kind of outcome. Right, That might be eating a healthy meal, um, limiting distractions while I'm trying to study, um, or exercising. And part of this is being just paraphrased from this article I found. Right, So active discipline is what you're doing in that moment to maintain the decision that you've already made to take action. And then this discipline is doing that thing consistently. Right, Sometimes we can feel like I'm not in the mood to go to the gym, but I know that I, I generally feel better after the gym. So active discipline would be saying, nope, I said I was going to the gym, and that's me going to the gym. Whereas reactive discipline would be your reactive. So think about when we talk about reactive, response is like a grounded emotionally action versus reactive whenever you're emotionally triggered. So here, reactive discipline is discussing being able to control your thoughts and your behaviors when dealing with something unforeseen in the moment. 
So I might necess- I might want to change this to response discipline because a reactive can be very emotional. Now, we're humans. Yes, we are. Yes, we are humans. So we're tending to go on that reactive side first. All right, that first few seconds when the emotional surge occurs, yes, we are just those little humans. I'm a pinch your little human cheek. We tend to be a little reactive. We have that little three-year-old inside of us that just wants to scream for the candy bar and ask why all the time. Whenever you are being a part of the reactive or response discipline, it's in that moment choosing how to react or respond to something that you weren't planning for. Uh, we got flat tires. It could be your bathtub overflowing. It could be your key breaking in the lock. Uh, oh, here it even says locking your keys in the car. Okay, well, then maybe that's where I got lock and car and keys and everything. But it's like, in here, it's very interesting. It says, instead of complaining, you use these as opportunities to learn. Oh, did this person write this blog? <laughs> Having listened to my show, because personal responsibility is releasing, blaming, complaining, and making excuses and saying, okay, what can we do in the moment to move the needle forward? And then what can we learn from this situation? If I get a flat tire and my trunk is full of crap and it's hard to get the spare out and I let my AAA membership expire, then the lesson to be learned was think ahead about the potential pitfalls of not knowing what you do if you got a flat tire. But in the moment, complaining, oh, God, I can't believe this is happening. I got to go to the meeting. Blaming, you should have checked how full the trunk was full of crap. You should have made sure to renew the membership to AAA. Uh, I'm making excuses. Well, I would have renewed the membership to AAA, but I was just too busy watching fantasy football. So give me a break here. So reactive discipline is just understanding that there is a discipline that you can have in that reaction response to unforeseen circumstances. And then there's proactive discipline, which is where you're thinking ahead of potential issues that could occur and then doing something in advance so that you can feel as if you have a better control of that situation. In this same example with the tire, you could be proactive in your discipline by knowing that the spare has enough air in it and that the it's easy to get out of the trunk. Bringing this to our sobriety and recovery, proactive discipline, if you were going to go to an event that could trigger your desire to drink, such as a party or a wedding or a sports bar to watch your favorite football team, proactive discipline would say that you've discussed with the people you're going what might happen if you feel triggered, if you feel activated and you have to leave or you have or somebody you could call if you're feeling uh, emotionally surged and you need somebody to talk it through with, that would be proactive discipline. You know, reactive discipline in this scenario could be that if somebody asks you a question about why you're sober or why you're in recovery, or they try to push a drink on you, or somebody spills their drink on you, or acts the fool in front of you because that's what super drunk people do, how are you going to respond? How are you going to be, how are you just going to be in that moment? Who are you going to choose to be? That is a very uh, reactive discipline. It's thinking about how am I going to do this? And then when you are in that situation, choosing the more empowered, grounded version of you to respond to the people or respond to the situation. And then finishing with active discipline, that is just, you know, each and every day waking up saying, I made this decision to take action on my sobriety recovery and I'm actively showing my discipline each and every day by going to the gym or eating healthier, having emotionally vulnerable conversations so that I don't go back to the pitfalls that led me into addiction to begin with. 
Oh my goodness, this is amazing. How am I already almost at an hour? I do not mean to go so long. I swear I get into these thinking, I'm going to do this in 30 minutes. But then I've been told by y'all that you don't really care how long they are. So then my brain's like, dude, relax. Just go off. Just be Jesse. So we are developing a growth mindset. We're cultivating courage. We're being decisive. We're taking action. We're embracing discipline. Embracing is like giving it a hug. We're not trying to reject discipline. We're saying, you know what? Discipline is what's going to get me where I want to go, right? We are not what we say. We are what we do consistently each and every day. That's the standards of our habits. That's the standards of our principles. This is what's facilitating this newer version of us growing within ourselves. And now we're exercising flexibility. One of the most ingenious quotes I think I've ever heard, and I'm pretty sure that it was Mike Tyson, although it could have been Muhammad Ali. But the point is, the quote is, everybody has a plan until they're punched in the face. Life likes to punch us in the face sometimes. Like again. I don't think it wakes up saying, let's figure out ways to punch Jesse in the face. Shit just happens. My next door neighbor's house gets hit by lightning, right? They didn't, they weren't like, oh, great. This is what I really wanted, right? Life just did what life does. I have no idea why lightning strikes where it strikes. I'm not a meteorologist. I just know that it hit their house. I feel blessed that it didn't hit ours. And I can have empathy that I wish it had to hit theirs. I can feel both at the same time. So when we're exercising flexibility, we're realizing that every decision that we make, every action that we take, and the, dis- the discipline that we show or we plan for, um, that we think ahead upon, there's going to need to be some flexibility built into it. I think one of the generals who went over there and, and kicked some Nazi ass, I think he said that um, plans are worthless, but planning is priceless. You want to have a plan to flex off of. If you're just going through your day all willy-nilly, then that's really what it's going to feel like. And you might go to bed feeling like you didn't work on any of your spheres or your pillars, any of your McMansion rooms. And you're just like, man, I just feel like I sort of just went through the day. Like I was just a, you know, a rubber ducky, you're the one, just floating along in the ocean, letting the tide take me where it wants to go. So we want to have a plan, but we want to be of the understanding that the plan generally isn't going to play out the way that we planned it for. That's just the way that it works. We can pack our car up full of stuff and say, we're going to go out to the woods and have a sweet ass time. And then we get there and there's fire ants all over the ground, or there's a bear just standing there with a honey pot waiting to get all up in our car when we go for a hike. A lot of different scenarios can go down (laughs) when you decide to go out into the woods. So, We want to have a plan to flex off of. Well, what's going to happen if there's a ton of mosquitoes? What's going to happen if there is no moonlight? You know, how are, do we have a little shovel so we can dig a hole and start a fire? Like, you want to have a plan and then you want to have some contingencies in place in order to be flexible off of that plan. This is one of the things I talk a lot about in my other podcast, American Contingency, is what do we have in place? that allows us to feel prepared knowing that we're more than likely going to be facing scenarios that we could not have possibly prepared for. But there are about 20 or so items that if you thought of these things in advance and have them in your possession, that any scenario is going to be immeasurably easier to work through and easier being in air quotes, easier to work through than if you didn't have some of these items. So we want to be thinking about what contingencies we have in place. I made this plan to be sober, to go to these meetings, and now on the way there, 
I can't make it because there's construction and now I'm going to be late and they don't let late people in. There's a lot of different things within our own sobriety and recovery that we can be thinking about. Okay, I want to make a meeting every day for the first 90 days. Then have you built in a couple extra meeting spots that you know about in case the one you want to go to isn't happening or you can't make it that far across town? Have a plan and be understanding that you're going to need to have some contingencies in place to flex off of it. And then the embodying tenaciousness, right? Not easily pulled apart. Persistence in maintaining something valued or desired, an ability or willingness to carry on despite difficulty or obstacles. There are going to be difficulties. There are going to be obstacles. Whether it's me sitting in front of my computer and hammering out a master's degree at 47, or whether it's stepping day one into sobriety and recovery, life presents obstacles. It presents challenges. And it can seem like the world is against us sometimes. But again, I want to assure you that while people might be nefarious, the world, the life, the earth, it is not like, I'm going to send a hurricane to this individual's home because fuck them. It's not doing that. It's just life. Sobriety doesn't suck. Addiction recovery doesn't suck. It's just life sometimes. So are we, I'm getting chills, I'm getting chills, I'm getting shivers now, I'm getting chills because I know this is powerful because it's something that matters to me. Do you have the willingness to carry on despite the difficulties, despite the the bullshit automatic negative thoughts, that negative self-talk that just wants to take a chisel to you and just chip, chip, chip away? Or maybe it's a straight out freaking chainsaw and it's like, right? Let's go at Jesse. Let's cut him down at the roots, right? It's just life, man. And it freaking is, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's awesome, and it's vulnerable, and it's sad, and it's happy, and it's glorious, and you can be exuberant and heartbroken all in the same minute. It's the tenacity. It's embodying that. It's saying, this is me. I will be this. Whether it's my show pumping you up, or maybe it's that Don Miguel Ruiz book, The Four Agreements I Brought Up, or Carol Dweck's Mindset book. There's so many different things that you can take in, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you could be living with 500 people in the same house. You could have a fraternity house. It's still you looking back at you in the mirror. How are you showing a willingness to carry on despite obstacles? despite difficulties? How are you pushing through and persevering? Because you're making these decisions in your head. When we embody something, we are expressing it. We are taking the the intangible and we are turning it into tangible. My tenacity will be shown by I consistently moving forward, even if something stresses me out or brings me anxiety or I feel beat down by something. It's like, frick that, man. I am powering forward. I've got a slew of people that have talked to me one-on-one, whether they be clients or participants at workshops and seminars who become presenting a problem. And we work on it. They work on it. They're out there, they're hammering away every single day, they're doing something to chip, 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 chip away at this issue. 
And it takes that tenacity to continue on, even in the face of exhaustion or difficulty. It takes that flexibility to realize that their initial plan may not necessarily work the way they drew it up. So what can they do now to shift, to detour, to keep themselves on track? Detours eventually get you back on the course. It just may be, feel like a long way around. But as long as you know that that detour is going to get you some way or another back in that general direction, wherever you're trying to go, probably isn't going to look like you had it painted out in your mind anyways. We tend as humans to create these fascinating images of who we're going to be when we set upon this trek of sobriety and recovery. And yeah, I mean, (laughs) you're going to be able to live up to that manifestation in your head. If you're standing there at the top of a mountain being like, dum, dun, 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 dum, ba, ba, da, dun, ba, 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 right? That's awesome that you can conjure that up. But in reality, you being a superhero in your life of addiction recovery isn't standing at the top of the mountain being like, I've conquered this goal, suck it, drunk Jesse. That's generally not how it's actually going to play out. It's going to be me leaving a sports bar sober. It's going to be me going to bed at night knowing that a lot of difficulties happened, but I faced them, I pushed through them, and I worked on things regardless of how it made me feel on the inside. Because my feelings on the inside, yes, they are real and they are pertinent to me, but I can assure you anyone who's accomplished anything magnificent in their life has had to vomit off the side of the stage before they got into the spotlight to achieve what they wanted to achieve. Tom Brady said he used to get sick before major football games. Michael Phelps was dealing with mental health issues and then went off to Beijing and won seven gold medals. People are moving through their emotions and still taking action on the decisions they've made. Because feelings are fleeting. The, even success, even standing on that proverbial mountain, that emotion is fleeting. Yeah, I get to leave the sports bar. Yay, I didn't drink. I didn't use drugs. And that, the emotion's fleeting. 20 minutes later, I get stuck at a red light. And my brain's like, ah, oh, damn red lights. Why does the world hate me? <laughs> Meanwhile, another part of my brain's like, dude, you just went to like one of the most triggering situations that a person could go through and you walked out of it completely loving everything that you experienced uh, and you're sober and you're rocking your recovery uh, and you just were at a Gravel Dad show. So uh, maybe be less pissed off about the red light right now. <laughs> I'm just saying, if we're trying to put things into perspective. So. We're embodying tenaciousness by moving forward despite the dangers, besides the difficulties and the obstacles. We're like, dun, 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 dun. but we're also being flexible and realizing that this manifestation of this image of ourselves as we got into sobriety and recovery, isn't, it, it probably wasn't even realistic. I'm never going to find myself in a blue and red outfit spandex type thing with a cape at the top of a mountain like I just conquered it. In reality, it's just getting in the car or laying down next to my loved one and saying, man, what a freaking day. Man, we did it. We did it. Let's close our eyes and let's see what the sunrise has for us tomorrow. Sometimes it's just another sunrise sober. That's fucking amazing, man. Some days it's just another sunrise sober. We're embracing that discipline. That says in order to achieve these things, that we are doing something for it each and every day. We are moving our needle forward. And we do that by taking this action. And we're saying, okay, 
I was decisive. I made this choice. I'm taking this action. I'm embracing this discipline. I'm exercising flexibility. And through all that, I'm embodying tenacity. And it's all built upon the foundation of cultivating courage and realizing that fear is inevitable. It is inevitable. A negative emotion is inevitable. But it does not have to seize us. It does not have to wrap its tentacles, its chain of despair around our neck and drag us down. We can say no. I feel like I want to be like, I will not go quietly into that night. Right? <laughs> what was the president in Independence Day? We will not allow these aliens to defeat civilization. We will not go quietly into the night. We will stand strong, right? And then dude flies the airplane up the up the spaceship's butt and like a few freaking aliens, right? Like we cultivate the courage. Knowing that it's each and every day that we have made, since we've made that decision and we are taking action, that it makes us more and more and more courageous. And eventually we get so courageous in this one area, we're like, you know what? Yeah, this is pretty cool that I'm doing, uh, going to meetings, but man, it'd be really cool to learn how to dance now. I've always wanted to dance so that me and my partner could go and do a really cool dance at a wedding or for our anniversary, right? I never thought I could do that, but I got a growth mindset. I didn't think I could be sober either, but look at me, crushing sobriety. Maybe I should go to the Fred Astaire Dance Studio and see if they could teach me how to just want to cha-cha, just want to cha-cha, right? It's in developing of the growth mindset. That's the foundation. That is the that is the cement slab in our foundational house of sobriety and recovery, that we can begin to build these floors, uh, these rooms of cultivating courage, of being decisive, of taking action, of embracing discipline, of exercising flexibility, of embodying tenaciousness. All of this is built upon this uh, this ideal, this principle, but we are not who we were yesterday. We are who we are choosing to be today. Everything is a choice. I want you to choose a growth mindset. It's not always going to be easy. Easy is for suckers, man. I look back at some of the things I've accomplished and the easier it was for me to accomplish those things, the less I seem to really enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I go buy a lottery ticket for a dollar. And the Powerball Commission determines that I am the winner of a billion dollars. <laughs> going to take that money. I'm going to take that money. But is it going to feel as rewarding as earning a billion dollars? That took me years and years and years of growing a business or you know, uh, fine-tuning a skill. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and assume that being handed a billion dollars isn't going to feel the same as earning a billion dollars. Now, it still all spends like money. So don't get me wrong. We're going to have one hell of a sobriety to recovery party. I ever win a billion dollars. We're all going to the moon. <laughs> what of you? All right, my friends. That is the essence of my book, The Seven Powerful Principles to Help You Excel in Life and Beyond. It's actually Excel in College and Beyond. I would love it. If you, you don't have to go buy the book. Uh, this hasn't been a whole hour-long um, advertorial for the book. You 
go do it or don't do it. It's not going to drastically change my life. I think it could substantially help you and yours because then you have this whole thing I just talked about for the last hour, but it's like you can literally put it on the back of your toilet and read me while you're going to the bathroom. Um, I have been told by many people that's where my book has ended up, Um, which, you know, it is what it is. I used to put some of my favorite books on the back of the toilet. So, and if I ever piss you off, then you're not too far away from just shoving me down the shitters. (laughs) I am teaching a neurolinguistic programming class. It is starting up the weekend of October 7th. I'm telling you what, when I went and learned neurolinguistic programming, it changed everything about my sobriety and recovery. You have heard my story. You have, you know that I came across it at month three, dove into it at month six or seven, and became a master practitioner by month 13 or something like that. Now I'm a master trainer. I've literally graduated uh, hundreds of people from what I have done with neuro-linguistic programming. I'd love for you to be one of our next graduates so you too could feel the empowerment that I feel coursing through my veins every single day. And just as a little the little footnote to all that neurolinguistic programming is amazing. It will literally change everything about your life and how you experience it and how you experience others. It's not magic. You still have to have that growth mindset. You still got to be decisive and step into that courage and take action, right? Discipline and flexibility and tenacity, all that stuff is still there. It's just such a powerful tool to get you there a little bit quicker. It's like the difference between having Daniel Jones as your quarterback or Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. One, yes, they both throw the football, but who's more accurate? And in a world where centimeters, millimeters can determine the course of your life, I would much rather have all the tools available to make sure that my accuracy was spot on. I want to be laser scope ready to rock and roll. So if that's something that you're sounding uh, more and more interested in, go to jessemogul.com slash ask me, fill out a form. If you have filled out a form, I will be getting out and uh, reaching back out to all of you very shortly. Aside from that, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It is, again, another amazing one. Hour and 10 minutes. Way to go, dude. Way to go. One day I should just do like a marathon, 24 hour. Just never stop talking. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Inclusivity over exclusivity. The power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine. Shout out to Robert. Glow on. Be amazing. I feel like I missed something in there. Let's see. Inclusivity over exclusivity. The power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine. Shout out to Robert. Glow on. I think that's about it. Just wanted to make sure because I got that discipline. All right, my friends. See you next week. Bye-bye.